Welcome to HeartSpeak Podcast, episode 213, The Rise and Fall of Atlantis. Welcome to the HeartSpeak Podcast, where valuable insights are shared that bypass the mind and resonate with the heart. Listen, open your heart, become inspired, find the joy and fulfillment that awaits when you follow your heart. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christine Page. Well, hello there, wherever you are in the world, you are welcome. It's good to be back with you. And I hope you enjoyed our partial solar eclipse in Scorpio. Looking forward to the lunar eclipse on November the 8th. Lots of things happening at that time. But today we're talking about Atlantis. And why? Because there seems to be a lot of buzz around Atlantis. Maybe it's just me, and I'm going to add to that buzzing. But I suspect that there is an interest, an increasing interest in did Atlantis exist? Was Plato right when he wrote about the story that he was told about this mythical, this continent, this civilization that existed and eventually was destroyed around 9600 BC? So when I started to explore more about Atlantis, and I had done this previously looking at some of the Egg Casey work, I realized that there was a great interest primarily in where was it, when did it go down, what should we learn from it going down, its destructiveness. And I think that's very interesting, except I would like to know what it was when it existed, because it had much more than just its end point around that 9,600 BC. And I think part of the interest is because that 9,600 BC was within that period of time that we call the age of Leo, the lion. And a lot of Leo-like qualities went into perhaps the destructiveness of Atlantis. So what is Leo? Leo is wonderful for all of you who are Leos, but it is a time where we would have a tendency to admire ourselves, to think we're wonderful, to be more materialistic, maybe. And Leo is associated with the sun, so the ability to be in the spotlight is very Leo-like. But also, in the time of the age of Leo, we believe they were harnessing the sun's energy in some way, and this may have caused its destruction. Now, before I go there, and I will come back to that point, let me just first remind you of why we call this the age of Leo, and why is that significant now? Well, if you know your astrology, Leo is opposite sign to Aquarius. And so we are moving into the age of Aquarius, probably not until about 2100 AD. But I think that as we move towards Aquarius, we are attracting back to ourselves all of those things that happened in the opposite sign, which was the age of Leo. So many of the things that we could say we are seeing now <laughs> in our world around us, similarities to why Atlantis may have been destroyed <laughs> at the end. And so we may be getting a little warning not to go too far down that path. But before we get there again, let me just remind us why we believe these ages exist. We believe 
Or we know that while the Earth turns on its axis, it also acts like a very slow top. And when the top starts to slow down, it starts to have a wobble. And that wobble of the top is in the opposite direction to the spin that's happening in that top. So the spin of the Earth is actually going in one direction and the wobble is going in the opposite direction. And that wobble has been seen to occur over 25,800 years. And it's fascinating that many ancient civilizations understood this wobble. They understood these ages of man that I'm about to describe. I mean, how did they do that without the telescopes we have, etc.? But they did. And this was very important to them because they understood that Every time we move into another age, according to this, what we call the procession of the equinox, this part of this 25,800 years, it actually changes us as human beings. So there's a different emphasis on us, a, a different influence. So we've just been in, or we are still in the age of Pisces, and Pisces is two fish swimming in opposite directions joined by a golden band. The message of Pisces was sacred marriage of opposites, loving thy neighbor as thyself, signified primarily by the message of, you could say, Jesus, because he is seen as part of the birth of that age of Pisces. He created fishermen of men. He walked on water. It was all very watery and fishy. And we're moving into the age of Aquarius, which is the age now of the water carrier. And when his disciples asked him, how will we find you, Lord, at the Last Supper, he said, follow the man who carries the water. In other words, he was saying, I will meet you in the age of Aquarius, but not as an individual, but within each of us. And so we are moving into this age of Aquarius, out of this age of, of wateriness into a more airy age. And if we go back in time, we go back because of this wobble going backwards through the zodiac signs before the age of Pisces, which is the age of Aries, which was the age of the shepherds, sheep, Moses, shepherding uh, the, the fatted, the, the, the love of the lamb and the lamb, slaughter of a lamb, all those things. And then before that was the age of Taurus, which is actually the age of the cow. I was going to say the fatted calf. Uh, the, the sign of Hathor, Isis, and then we go back another 2,000-odd years. We find the age of Gemini, which I would say must have been a wonderful time. We just talked, but I believe it was a time of communication, of early writing, nomadic tendencies. 2,000 before that would have been the age of Cancer, which was really, we think, the, where after the Great Flood, the two-by-two two, Cancerian making new homes, and then we would come to the age of Leo. And so the age of Leo would have been during that time about 10,800 BC to about 8,600 BC. So that sort of period of time. And in the middle of that, it is pretty well known, was the age where Atlantis completely was destroyed. And it was also interestingly the same time as what we call the Younger Dryas, where we know 
that there were tremendous floods. And it is said that the cause of those floods were maybe meteors hitting the earth, comets, disruptions. But they also, there's a, a sense that there may have also been issues within the plates of the earth itself and something happening within those plates that caused these mountainous floods to occur where they say that there were tsunamis and the waves were as high as almost mountains. So a lot happened. And I don't think we're entirely sure what the significance there was there. Some people have looked at the destruction, and now I'm coming back to the destruction, but have looked at the, the soil, the earth from that time and seen that almost there were, must have been some very strong heat, very powerful heat at that time, because the minerals themselves actually were crystallized. So something happened to cause this molten energy to occur within the earth and then to crystallize later on. We're not going to go too far down that road at this moment, but it's interesting that there's this period of time that's becoming more and more significant. And especially since I traveled within Turkey and I went to Gobliateki and other of these tepes, the Karen tepes, et cetera, and they've all built around that period of time, uh, around the time of the Younger Dryas, these times of great destruction. What were they building them for? Why? So, we won't go down that path, but we will return to Atlantis. And I want us to understand that if Atlantis was indeed an empire, which is how they call it, and that there were at least 10 different kingdoms, we believe the area that it existed in was what we now call the Atlantic Ocean. And it would not have just been in that area but we believe that it would have touched the Mediterranean, it would have touched different parts of what we call Europe. And it would also have touched, of course, the east coast of, of America, Canada, South America, etc. So it's a huge area. Some even place it as far down as Antarctica for various reasons, the belief that things have shifted much more than we thought, but I won't go into that today. But if we imagine that it was a very large area, we also understand that parts of it already were destroyed over thousands of years. So it wasn't one mass destruction. Parts of it had broken away tens, tens of thousands of years before the final destruction. Okay. I'm going to go back to its birth. Then we'll go through what it was about. Then we'll talk a little bit again about where it might have been. And finally, I want to close with a short meditation if you'd like to find yourself in Atlantis and find out what was going on. As far as I can understand, and this is, again, figures are not good, yearly figures. It's hard to always understand what's going on. But it is said that 104,000 years ago, there was a creation of two great landmasses from what they call the cosmic ocean. And the challenge when we're talking about years and then we get caught up in mythologies is those years may not be accurate. They may just be mythological years because it's always seen that in the beginning is this cosmic ocean, this 
is potentized potential for creation. And nearly every culture talks about in the beginning there was the darkness, this ocean. But it didn't mean it was empty, it was full of potential. And out of that came what they call the primal serpent. So you could say the ocean gives birth to itself as the primal serpent. And that primal serpent is often described as an androgynous being, the winged serpent. Or you see the serpent surrounding the lingam, the penis. So it's all, often got two facets to it. And some see it as female, some see it as male, but I think understanding it just as holding the androgyny, the two faces together, is a good idea. And that then gives birth to twins. And these twin stories seem to go around the planet as well. And we're going to see these two land masses, Lemuria and Atlantis as the twins. Lemuria in the Pacific Ocean, Atlantis in the Atlantic Ocean. And that they both carried particular spiritual qualities. Lemuria, as we may understand, had more of a tendency to be ethereal, nature-loving, connected to nature, very collective consciousness, able to talk to plants, able to talk to trees, using the life force of the uh, nature around them to exist. And that civilization is seen to spread from, you could say, the, the Japan area, all around the New Zealand, Pacific Oceans, all the way around Hawaii, and then coming into the West Coast of America, South America, Shasta, uh, Sedona, etc. I don't want to go more into that at this moment. And then you have Atlantis, which was seen to be how do we find for humanity individualization? How do we make humanity gods by teaching alchemy, teaching self-enlightenment, teaching them practices that will help to literally inspire them to be separate from this more collective consciousness of the Lemurian being. And to help us on our way, and I'm putting us on our way, during this period of time, we know that there were many ET visitors, and I've talked about these before, but particularly the Palladians, the Syrians, others would come to teach these qualities to the Atlanteans, the Atlant Atlantean people. And so particularly Palladians will be teaching them about individualization, self-identity, and, and many other things, really inspiring the intellect, which was important for the Atlanteans compared with the Lemurians who used their intuition. I understand that the Syrians, or those from Sirius, would teach about alchemy, and I personally have had a fascination with alchemy, which is really how do we turn our base consciousness into the gold of enlightenment. So it was really about not only using Mother Earth's base consciousness or base minerals to produce gold, but also to do it for ourselves. So really seeing us as 
a mirror of Mother Earth's power to create. And because of this power to create, the king of Atlantis was seen as Poseidon or Neptune. And you would often see him with his three-pronged tri um, <laughs> three-pronged uh, tri trion, which would actually uh, be his symbol. And so what you'd be looking at, the three prongs were the three faces of creation. Some describe that as the birthing, the pers preservation of it, and then the destruction of it, birth, nurturing, death. But there may be other qualities that were important, but three is always seen as the most important number of creation. Nothing can be created with only two. And so you often have a triangle or a tetrahedron. These were all symbols of creation. And it is said that this, the sign or the symbol from Sirius was actually the triangle with the eye inside it, which, as you may know, was then passed on through Freemasonry, Illuminati, came into one of the symbols for the USA. So this is really a connection to the alchemy of Sirius, the, the magic of how to become enlightened, how to connect particularly to our higher mind, our higher self. So it's, it's the reconnection to ourselves as, and to become divine beings. This is what we, they were taught, or we were taught as those people who existed in the Atlantean times. And remember, if we're looking at 104,000 years, we're talking, if you really understand this, of maybe hundreds of lifetimes during the time of Atlantis. And at the same time, you might have had hundreds of lifetimes in Lemuria or on another planet. But when people say, oh, I had one life in Atlantis, it's probably unlikely you just had one life. Well, we had many lives, but it's really a question of which one might be significant to you. Now, I have one particular memory, and I know I've had other lives, that I remember working with holograms in Atlantis because Atlantis was very much, as I say, about alchemy, but it also understood the principles of how to use light and crystals and the sun and the Earth's energy to bring about transformation. So if any of you are interested in any of those things, especially crystals and light therapy or sound therapy or vibration, you definitely had Atlantean lives. If you're more interested in trees and plants and stones and, and talking to trees and, and animals, they're your Lemurian lives, but they're not exclusive. You probably were intermingling all the time. So here I was, and I was, I was the guardian of this machine. And what we had was the ability to have a blueprint, or I could almost see it like a, a, a card, <laughs> an insert into a computer, where on that would have all the data of who you were, like my, some might say you're Akashic Records. And I would plot or slot this, this disk in, and you would then be downloaded or, or placed in a, a space which was your vibrational blueprint and it was really more holographic than just sound but I could imagine all these lights sound 
And all of a sudden you aligned to yourself and everything aligned to you and you became who you were again. But I remember that I had a little trick up my sleeve was after a while I got bored and started putting my own ideas of who someone should be. And of course, I put those into this machine. And soon I was told I was no longer in charge of that machine anymore. So whoops, <laughs> took me a while to get back to holograms. But each of us have had different lives, as I'm saying. And one of the big keys to the understanding of how the Atlanteans worked was how to gather their energy from the earth so that we would know that we didn't need um, what we're using at this moment for energy. We knew to harness what I call dragon energy or serpent energy within the earth. And that is pure telluric energy, uh, earth energy, and what the Atlanteans knew how to do was to be able to harness that energy using huge crystals, usually tetrahedral crystals, and they put these crystals into the earth, and that stored the energy of the earth in it, and then they would bring, knew how to then harness the cosmic rays that were coming through the sun or around the sun, and they would bring the two together and create this ability to literally, you know, light up many cities with this energy, or of course, use it in a more destructive way. So they harness the sun's energy and the earth's energy in what we call dragon layers. They literally knew where were the power places in the world where all these energies came together. They knew the importance of where the sun was in the sky, just as we were talking about in the eclipse. And they would say, on this day, we will harness that energy to the energy of the earth, and this will empower, empower us and empower our cities, etc. Now, so therefore, there is some talk that perhaps this misuse of energy was that they harnessed too much of the sun's energy and literally blew themselves up in terms of they disturbed something within the earth, they brought too much heat, making that crystalline structure that I was talking about in the soil, or their crystals became too powerful. Something happened, I believe. And I think it was that was, in my mind, as important as maybe some comet hitting us at some period of time. Because it's very interesting that even though there is an interest in solar panels, I'm very fascinated that the one source of great energy supply would be the sun. And yet we really have made very few efforts to harness that energy today. We have solar panels, but they're not the same. And I think what happens is that when we as a civilization go through a challenging time where we may damage the earth, it's almost like we have an amnesic experience or we, we don't think about, wow, there's a great big energy source up there called the sun. Why don't we use that? I think it's because we know what we did before. Now, I know I'm getting into the disaster side, but there's no doubt, and if you listen to Edgar Casey, he calls these crystals firestones, and he calls the obelisks that we also created, they were uh, frozen serpent energy. So obelisks were placed in certain places where there would be a strong energy underneath, again, a dragon's lair, and it would draw the energy up, 
At other times, these fire stones, these crystals were placed in very powerful places. And then guess what? Placed a pyramid on top. And this was then a source of energy. Why do I say that is if you want to look at Christopher Dunn's work, he very much talks about how pyramids, the Great Pyramid was used to build energy. And what we use that energy for, who knows? But this just says to me that if the Atlanteans had this skill 20,000 years ago, long, maybe 10,000 years before the final destruction, they were traveling to places all over the world to bring their wisdom, and including, and especially places like Egypt, Mesopotamia, to different parts of the country, the world. So they didn't have to wait to 10,000 or 9,600 BC to change. So I feel that when we look at something like the pyramids or the Sphinx, etc., that we are not aging these in the proper way. I think they're much older. Now, they may have been reconstructed or something's happened because often they would build a pyramid on, on top of another pyramid. But I think this knowledge went out long before the destruction of Atlantis. So the question for us all is, are we there now? Because one of you know the theories, one of the things that Edgar Casey says is that people just got so self-important, so materialistic, so caught up in their own possessions, so caught up in how to destroy the earth rather than be guardians of it, or at least uh, guests with it. And I think we're quite close. And I know that what we are seeing, I and mean, we're having a discussion whether it should be wind supply or solar panels. I tell you, we're already, or our governments already know how to do what was done in Atlantis. We already know how to use crystals, how to harmonize, use that energy of the earth, how to use the energy of the sun. This is all happening. We already know how to create anti-gravity. We already know how to bring together different aspects so we can create mind control, just as I was doing with those holograms. Gold was a feature there, remember before, Creating monoatomic gold was a way of creating immortality. This is happening. So before we get lost in our smallness, I want you to understand just how big you are and that you've known these things and you know these things. So finally, as I say, let's just come back to there was this period of time where we know the last of Atlantis went down for various reasons I've discussed. We know that places like the Bahamas, Bimini, the Bermuda Triangle are a huge part of all of this. They've actually found, or someone once found, a huge crystal in Bimini, which they believed was an interdimensional tool for opening portals. We know what happens in the Bermuda Triangle. Things disappear. Planes disappear. We know the Azores is very important off the coast of Portugal. But there's a whole rift there. There's a whole meeting of plates in that area. So it's not just one small island. I know that when I went to Malta and Gozo, that these were described as the place of the Queen Bee, who was the government, the governor of Atlantis. In other words, it wasn't the prime site that Plato described, but 
the Gozo and Malta and those islands were seen as the mountaintops that were now only surviving, but had originally been a huge part of the Atlantean culture. And then there's this place that's seen, Plato describes as having concentric circles and concentric circles between water and earth. And this was the palace or the place where the king lived. And one of the kings was called Atlas, just by the way. And people are saying, oh, that place is in the Sahara, it's in the Antarctica, it's in the Azores. And many who have done diving into these waters have seen streets and rocks and, and walls and cities. So as Edgar Casey always says, I think that we are going to see more and more evidence that Atlantis sits beneath the waves in the oceans, maybe in the desert, maybe in Antarctica. And why we need to do this is actually to remember who we are in a very positive way, but also remember not the, path, the path not to go down, how we change that path. Sound exciting? So if you wish to just do a short meditation with me, and you're able to do that, in other words, you're not driving or using heavy machinery, then please to close your eyes. Take a few sh beautiful breaths, short breath in, long out breath down through your body. We're going to make this a fairly simple meditation. And we understand that all of us have had lifetimes in Atlantis, in Lemuria, but at the moment we're just interested in maybe a very long period of time where we may have had several lives in Atlantis. And we're not going to look at the ones that may have been towards the end of Atlantis's life. Let's look at the ones that where we gained great knowledge, great wisdom, great abilities. What is it we are masters of? What did we, what have we learned? And where is that inside us now? So through your heart, chakra, please see yourself in a corridor. This is a corridor between the worlds. Before you go to the door that's at the end, it is closed. Just look around your corridor. Maybe music playing. Just touch the walls. We're going to a pleasant time in Atlantis, please. Time where you felt useful, felt wise, felt, felt that you were as a human being really becoming inspired with wisdom and knowledge. So we go to the door and your door can be in any way, be stone, be wood, be steel, whatever you want. And remember in Atlantis, technology was far advanced of where we are now. So don't be limited in what you may experience. As we open the door, you step into a time in Atlantis, one of your lives, where you really felt excited by the possibilities ahead of you. Look around you. Maybe you were learning something, where maybe you were an expert at something, maybe you were sharing something. See, what is surrounding you now? 
How are you giving and using your gifts? And imagine being able to walk into this place. You may be aware as you walk what you're wearing, even how you, what form you've taken. You can have a quick look at yourself. But as you move or walk into this place, you're met by other beings of that time. They say, hi. They may call you a name. Move towards the place of your expertise. It may, of course, be indoors or outdoors, maybe in a, in, around a machine. It may be in some sort of technology way, but it may be out in nature. Where are you? What is your expertise? Maybe there are some who are helping you, some wiser or maybe students of yours, but who is around you? Give yourself that name now. I am a, I am a wisdom keeper. I am, I worked with holograms. What is it that you know how to do? Maybe you work with crystals. And now, for you to return, just bring something with you from that time that reminds you of your expertise. Time to go back, leaving this place, knowing you can return any time, in fact, to other lives if you choose. Go back to the door, the interdimensional door, Pass through it, back into the corridor. And back into the room where you are. And as always, I suggest, as you open your eyes, you make a note of your findings. And of course, you have the chance to return there anytime by listening to this recording again. I hope you found some interest in our journey through Atlantis. And until next time, be well, enjoy life, and know that you're a very wonderful ancient being who is bringing their expertise to the world. It is badly needed now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the HeartSpeak Podcast with Dr. Christine Page. Please check out all HeartSpeak episodes in the podcast archive section on www.christinepage.com. 
Podspeak is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and now playing on Amazon Music and iHeartRadio. You can also watch the Archive Podcast on Christine's channel on YouTube and now on Rumble. Connect with Christine on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, including her newest Facebook group, The Great Mother Calling. Do share with family, friends, colleagues. Join us next time for another edition of Heart Speak.